Hiya folks, you're very welcome and thank you for joining the Jason Joyce Health Podcast. Do you feel like you're running through life constantly switched on and trying your best to be that bit healthier, that bit happier? This constant pressure can lead to overwhelming feelings of stress, anxiety and burnout. You may just feel lost or disconnected. My aim is to help you slow down and take stock of what is truly important to you in your life. What nurtures your soul? Through stories and honest conversations with people from different walks of life. My hope is that this podcast will help educate, entertain, challenge and inspire you in all areas of health and happiness. I'm Jason Joyce. It's time to stop running and start living. I hope this podcast finds you in good form today and you're enjoying season two. Please continue to share it with friends, family or whoever you think it might help or share it on social media. I really, really value your support and encouragement. So a big thank you. Today's guest has one of the most impressive CVs I've ever witnessed in sport. Currently, she's number 10 on the Irish women's rugby team, having played for the last six and a half years with Ireland. She has also played with Dublin for over 10 years and won an FAI Senior Cup with St. Catharines in soccer. Although these achievements sound very, very impressive, her biggest success story is overcoming her mental health struggles in her teenage years. This is an excellent success story and I'm very honoured to introduce Hannah Tyrrell. Sit back and enjoy this epic episode. Thank you for joining me, Hannah. Thanks very much for having me. It's great to have a fellow Clondalkin person with me. I'm a Northsider now, but I'm always Clondalkin at heart. So we get straight into it. Can you just tell the listeners who you are? My name is Hannah Tyrrell. I grew up in Clondalkin and currently I play rugby for Ireland. I have done for the past six years or so. I... Grew up playing GAA, uh, playing with Round Towers in Glendalkin and playing with Dublin. Um, currently on the side, I'm a, a post-primary school teacher in history and geography. A side note, I love dogs. I love it. Um, yeah, I got to know you well because I was your physio probably for about seven years actually with the Towers and you won some great things with the Towers. You won a Dublin Championship. Yeah, so uh, we were lucky enough back in 2011 to win Intermediate Championship Um our team had been going well for a number of years before that, kind of fallen at the last hurdle, semi-final times. Yeah, we were lucky enough that we, we got over the line in 2011 and coming up to a 10-year reunion next year now and uh, with big things planned, hopefully coronavirus doesn't ruin that for us. We're definitely celebrating it and milking it for all it's worth. You also played football. Yeah, I played a bit of soccer. That was actually the first sport I started playing. I just played for the local team when I was like six or seven, Monksfield United. And... Um, Stopped for a while because I couldn't find a girls team to play for. And then back when I was about 15 or 16, I started playing again and played for a team called St. Catharines, who I was lucky enough to win an FAI Senior Cup with, also in 2011. And then I went on to play with St. Patrick's when the new Women's National League came in. But I enjoyed playing the two sports. They're both different in their own ways. And uh, yeah, I love the challenge of it. So 2011 was a good year. What position were you in soccer? Started off as a striker, ended up as a left back. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't score much, did you? <laughs> you were playing with Dublin. How did you transfer such a transfer like from Gaelic football and then to be playing rugby for Ireland? Did you play rugby before as a kid or as a teenager? No, I never played rugby at all. Um, I didn't even really know anyone who played rugby growing up. Unfortunately, Clondalkin was never really a rugby stronghold um, growing up. They're doing a bit better now with the, the rugby club, but... Um, for me, I just went down one of the nights. One of the girls had um, 
encouraged me to go down to my club, Old Belvedere. Um, I was in college in UCD at the time, so it was the, the nearest club to there. And I found it quite easy to transition over. You, you have a lot of footwork from GA and a lot of evasion skills, I suppose. You, the kicking comes naturally to you. And I was pretty fast and I was kind of like, let's just avoid everybody out here who's trying to tackle me. And I ran away from everybody and it, it worked. <laughs> I learned the rules, which is always a good thing. And I uh, got used to the contact side of things. That was the biggest challenge. And yeah, I was lucky enough, a couple of months later, I got a call to come into the Irish 7 setup. Obviously, then I began to perfect things from there. Excellent. And you're playing sevens for how long before you start playing actually rugby union as well? Yeah, so they overlapped at times. I ended up playing rugby sevens for about seven years. And for me, that was like full-time Monday to Friday training and, you know, getting paid to do that, traveling the world, uh, representing Ireland on the international stage. I didn't make my Ireland 15s debut until 2015. So I made my 7th debut in Amsterdam in 2014 and then the following year, my 15s debut. And they kind of overlapped um, the last five or six years, but it was predominantly 7s for me as that was my contracted um, sport. That was my official job. So that took priority. When did you start playing rugby? October 2013. So I was lucky enough to make my debut about six or seven months after I actually picked up rugby. So I was only playing club rugby a short while before I got called into the international setup. Um, You know, I got very lucky in that regard that somebody saw me quite early and brought me in to improve my skills a little bit and, and get me up to my full potential. And what about traveling around the world to play sport and be an athlete that's like the dream job for me how was that yeah look it definitely was the dream job for me particularly as a, a young female growing up and um, there's not many opportunities to be a professional sportswoman opportunities weren't there with soccer at the time through GAA isn't an international thing so rugby was the only place I was going to get it and when they handed me that offer of coming in and being contracted to potentially travel the world and go to an Olympics and play in World Cups like I jumped at the chance and I suppose the hardest thing about it and a couple of the Towers girls would know was that like I had to leave GA, I had to leave soccer behind and that was really difficult because I'd been playing with Dublin for the last 10 years or so up through the age grades and I'd been playing with Towers for so long that to kind of just walk away from that for a relatively new sport was daunting but I suppose my idea behind actually accepting that offer was well if it doesn't work out I always have GA to come back to you know and this is an opportunity that mightn't come around again. Been lucky enough to travel the world and go to some unbelievable cities and play in some amazing tournaments in front of thousands and thousands of people and they're memories I'll always have and I'll be able to look back on in years to come and just be like I can't believe I actually did that. And what was your highlight? What would be your standout moments? a couple to be honest like my first cap was very special just because I hadn't been playing rugby so long so to get to that level you know in such a short space of time was always special to me and um, but playing in a home world cup in 15s in 2017 was pretty special like world cups don't come around often you're never guaranteed to play in them so to be able to play in a home world cup in front of sold out crowds and your whole family and friends was an experience I'll never ever forget it was very surreal to be honest and even looking back I'm like did that even happen is that real and what, what would the nerves be like for that because I know the nerves are for a gag but a World Cup representing Ireland playing rugby yeah look we didn't end up performing too well in that uh, World Cup and I got back on a bit of sadness and that all the potential that we actually didn't fulfil I remember the day of the game that actually it was on in the UCD Bowl and there was rumours going around that it was sold out and people couldn't get a ticket, which was completely unheard of in women's rugby up until that point. 
And I actually remember that morning that I, to kind of offset the nerves, I busied myself and trying to get tickets for people for the game, just to try and forget about the game itself. And um, singing the national anthem that very first game um, against Australia was absolutely electric like and it was an amazing feeling but sure once you get into the game and you have your first kick of the ball or your first touch um, it's just another rugby game and the crowd gets drowned out a little bit and you just know what you you have to do when you get on with it but um, yeah the lead up to it was very weird with the sellout and the whole like I suppose being the home team there's a lot of pressure on you to perform yeah, and have you always been good at managing that pressure? The minute you get in, like you get your first touch, even with Dublin, with Towers, with Catherine's, with Ireland, have you always been good like that? Yeah, in some ways, I definitely think that I'd be a lot better um, at managing my nerves and dealing with that in the run-up to a game when it comes to GAA and soccer, because for me, they always came a little bit more naturally to me, and I knew exactly what I was supposed to do when I got out there, and I knew I had the skills to be able to pull all that off, so... For me, rugby was a little different in that because it was a sport I had fallen into and had transferred to, it was never the natural sport for me. And I always doubted myself a little bit in the lead up to those games. And my mindset used to always try and focus on the negatives, like without me even thinking about it, I'd be like, just don't let in, don't miss a tackle, don't miss a tackle because they'll score a try. You know, when I, in GA, it was always positive thoughts. I'm going to go out here and I'm going to smash it or I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. So that was something that I had to really work on when it came to rugby, particularly for the big games, because I couldn't let that negativity overwhelm me in a game and get to me. And then I knock on my first touch and things get worse. So there was definitely a mindset I had to change there and start looking at some positive things and look back on, on some positive memories I'd had in rugby and bring that into the game. Like, And is that how you did it? You reflected on, you kind of had a confidence bank, was it? Particularly, I got a really bad injury in 2015 towards the end of that season where I dislocated my shoulder and I ended up being out on and off for about 18 months with that. Um, and when I came back, I felt a bit hesitant to make tackles with that shoulder and I felt like it wouldn't be as good as it was before. And we'd be lining up in the tunnel and I'd still be thinking negatively, just don't miss a tackle and, and we might win the game. And Whereas I actually just had to start really focusing on and picturing all these good tackles that I'd made in the past and that I was able to do again and focus on times where I had good footwork and I burst through contact so that I was able to make a positive play in the game and so now when we line up in tunnels that's what I'm thinking I'm picturing those positive plays I've had before and how I'm going to bring that to the next game and that I'm constantly telling myself I'm well able and I'm good enough and I'm here for a reason kind of thing. Yeah a really good way to bring confidence to your game is to look at your accomplishments there's a lot of people try and look for confidence in the future but you can't get that no, like I, I was drawn on past experiences. Like I was saying to myself, you've done this before, so why can't you do it again kind of thing? And I suppose, like, I feel like I've started to really hit my stride in the last couple of years um, with rugby. And I think the change in my mindset has been a, a big factor in that. You know, I've, I've started to believe in myself a little bit more and started to look back on what I've already achieved and, and, bring, and bringing that into every game going forward. And I think I suppose it's just taking a bit of weight off my shoulders. I'm just not focusing on negative negative things anymore. I back myself. You need, like, your mental game really needs to be better than your physical game. A lot of rugby is all in your head. Like, it's a lot of mindset and, and communication. And there's a lot of things we're taught that if you're lining up to tackle somebody else, that by actually just talking and saying, like, I have my man, my tackle, it'll often nearly put that ball carrier off and they'll end up passing the ball or making a poor decision. And it's that kind of trying to, I spike out the opponent and 
psych yourself up for what you're going to do through talking and through um, that positive mindset that can make positive things happen. So what other injuries did you get? You have a bandage on your finger. Is that a dislocated finger, is it? It's a little tiny baby cast thing. So just recently there, I dislocated my pinky on my left hand. But it was left at a very, even when I went back in, it was left at a very awkward angle. So the tendon got damaged. So the hand surgeon there basically said, that thankfully I don't need surgery, but that if I wear this little plaster Paris thing, it will straighten it out a little bit more and hopefully fix the tendon for me we'll see but yeah that's probably the least of my worst to be honest um, and you had any other big injuries or is the shoulder just the shoulder is probably is the main one that i've had you always get the odd little niggles it's very common in rugby to get your ankle caught at the bottom of a rock or kind of sprain your ankle and stuff like that and i've had a couple of them over the years but the shoulder's definitely been the one for me that it was a pretty bad injury back in 2015 to the point where it still niggles at me now and I need constant work on it and injections and stuff like that because it ended up with like nerve damage and the surgery I had to correct it. While it worked perfectly, it just, it's limited my mobility and it, yeah, it's been difficult, but I've been very lucky overall that I've never had, you know, injury after injury after injury. After that big injury, I've only had little niggles that keep you out a week or two here and there. And thankfully, you know, my body's held up as I age <laughs> and get a bit older. That leads me exactly onto what I was going to say next. Have you many more years in the tank or? You know, like I said, I think I'm play- playing like my best rugby that I have in a long time. I'm the fastest I've ever been. I'm hitting speeds on my GPS that I've never hit before, you know, and I've just turned 30 and I definitely wouldn't have thought that a couple of years ago. I feel extremely fit. I'm pretty healthy. Playing GA this year, I definitely just was flying around the place when I, I got to play a bit in uh, times of coronavirus in the summer. But yeah, look, I definitely think like physically I, I could go for another four or five years easily. Mentally, whether I want to do that or not, though, I'm not entirely sure. I'm kind of taking it season by season uh, right now and, and seeing what happens with that. I'd really love to get back into GA proper maybe give Dublin another go, try win a senior All-Ireland if that was uh, possible. But uh, sure, look, who knows what the future will hold. But uh, definitely physically, like I'm flying at the minute and I'm very lucky to be able to say that. Sure, we'll see what happens on the pitch in the next few weeks. (laughs) Well, they say um, you hit mastery at 10 years. 10 years of purposeful training. So in three years time, you might be going even better. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. We'll see how we go. We have a World Cup next year with rugby and uh, after that I'll have a good hard look and see do I want to go again another cycle with the rugby or do I want to give GA another crack and, and see where we're at. But and is it a full time job? Can you work when you're playing rugby? Yeah, so at the minute now because I'm playing with the 15s team in terms of Six Nations and all that sort of stuff, uh, that's amateur. So basically we ha- all have full time jobs or we're full time students and then we train Tuesday mornings, Tuesday evenings, Thursday mornings, Thursday evenings, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. So it's complete amateur, all in our own time, and we work outside of that. And you're working as a teacher at the moment? Working as a teacher in a post-primary school in town. Loving it, loving the change for me, considering that rugby had been my job for the last six years. And so definitely different, a lot busier than it has been in the last while, but it's nice to have a different change of scenery and direction and stuff like that. How would you balance that work with training? 
I suppose it's just about being prepared and being organized. And it's been like that for the, for as long as I've known it. I have all day tomorrow and all day Sunday. So I know that if I have to get a bit of schoolwork done, that it'll be done tonight. Get my bag ready for tonight. Do all my training tomorrow. Maybe take an e- evening off Saturday night. Do all my training Sunday. And get home about four or five o'clock. And then I might have a couple of more hours of schoolwork and meal prep and all the mundane household chores that needs to be done. It's, I suppose, making the most of um, the hours that you have and the free time that you have, but making sure that there's a bit of me time and personal time in that because it's easy to get bogged down and all of that and just be constantly training and working and not having any personal time or time to just relax and and forget about all of that. So um, that's been kind of key for me the last couple of weeks anyway. And then once we get to midterm next week, I'll have a well-deserved lion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because when I asked you at the start, who are you? A lot of people might say, I'm Hannah, the rugby player. But you said you're a lot more than that. And it's really important to prioritise your time in who you are. You're not just a rugby player or a teacher. There's a lot more. You love dogs. Yeah. <laughs> yes, rugby is a massive aspect of my life. You know, there's so much more to me than that. And sport will always have a, a massive influence and, and be a massive part of my life. But there's a whole other side to me, you know, in terms of my social life, with my friends, with my fiancé with my dogs and what I like to do in my spare time and just chilling out. Like I'm not just a rugby player and I never will be. Everything sounds positive now, but 15, well, 15 years ago, it wasn't going that way. So look, I'm very lucky that life for me now is brilliant. You know, I have a great job. I'm playing rugby for Ireland. I'm very lucky to have a roof over my head and everything else and great friends and family support. But when I was a young teenager, I struggled with an eating disorder and, and self-harm and, you know, it was a difficult few years for me. I was starting secondary school and I just had a lot of feelings of um, hatred for myself and, and didn't have any confidence or any self-worth and didn't feel like I was pretty enough, skinny enough. I wasn't a good enough friend, sister, wasn't good enough in school, wasn't good enough at sport. And I just kind of wanted to try and change all that. I tried to do that through my eating disorder and that kind of took over my life a little bit as a teenager. And I forgot about friends and schoolwork and focused on my eating disorder and how I could lose weight and how that might make me a better person. And I look back now and I'm like, like I was such an idiot for thinking that because your worth isn't defined on like how many friends you have or, or what weight you are or, or how pretty you are or whatever else. There's so much more to people than that. And I just couldn't see that side of things. And I really focus on a lot of negative things about myself. And um, I suppose I let, I isolated myself and I let all the negative thoughts grow and they began to consume me. And like with the self-harm for me it was like a form of punishment for not being good enough and I couldn't really escape that and it was it was like a relief for me to self-harm and to let out all that negativity that was inside me and I could guard again and try again to be better and I got stuck in that cycle as a young teenager and I didn't tell anybody about it and I was doing it alone and yeah life was pretty grim for me back then but I was clever enough or so I thought at the time to hide that from everybody else, put on a brave face. So like people who knew me then and all the Towers girls would have seen that I was bubbly and outgoing and some would probably say cocky um, and chatty and had loads of friends and I was cracking jokes and 
you wouldn't have thought that I was struggling with thoughts about taking my own life and thoughts of really poor body image or anything like that. Like, I don't think anybody would have guessed from looking at me or from even knowing me or being around me, that's what was going through my head. And yeah, it was just, it was a tough time, but I was lucky enough to come through all of that and come out the other side, all the better for it. And I suppose I look back now and people always ask me, do I wish I hadn't gone through it? And of course I wish I hadn't gone through it or things had been different, but I also, I'm glad that I went through it and came out the other side because it, it's a reminder to me that I can face anything in life and get through it. And I use it as I'm proud of myself for having come through that. And I use that as kind of ways to really keep me going in life and push me through the difficult days that I might have and difficult days that might be ahead. You know, if I can get through that, I can get through anything. It's something I've been through. It's part of my past. It's never going to change. And I'm not ashamed of it. I am proud to have overcome that. I love your honesty. Where did that self-hatred come from? What was the trigger? To be honest, I don't even know. And I've never really figured this out myself because I grew up with three sisters and one brother and we had the usual family arguments and this, that and the other, like you all do. But I really did have a great family life and I had loads of friends and like I was doing great at sport and everything else. And I was never actually fat or anything like that. And I just, I don't know. I always set the bar quite high for myself and I suppose I just kept setting it a little bit too high and I could never actually achieve that. So every time that I failed, you know, it was another stick for myself to beat me with. I had to really learn that some things just weren't achievable and you couldn't live this perfect life that I wanted to. It took a long time for me to realize that and start to set the bar a little bit lower for myself and not be quite as ambitious. But yeah, I got there, but I don't know where it came from. I always wanted to be the best, but... I suppose I just set it to unattainable levels and it just led me down a path of destruction. Yeah, totally. I can totally resonate with that. I always struggle with expectations of myself and they're ridiculous. And I still struggle with it, to be honest. And I'm 33, so it's something I've worked on a lot. I've done counselling with it and, and I find it rears its head every now and then. Does it happen with you now? Yeah, look, I, I like I'll never stop being the competitive one or or having that will and want to be the best no matter what sport it is that I try or whether I'm taking part in a bake-off with my friends or whether I'm doing a 5k or whatever else I always want that want to have the best time or I want to win this no matter what it is and I'm still like I think I can do this when it's probably unattainable but I've learned to take it back down a notch a little bit and be like, okay, let's be a little bit realistic here in our expectations and, and take it step by step as opposed to be expected to fly before you can run and all that jazz. And what's your relationship with yourself like now? I'm a very good relationship. I definitely would say I'm very proud of myself. I very much love myself for who I am right now. And it took me a long time to get to that. I suppose I always had that really negative um, relationship with my body in terms of how I looked and how I portrayed myself to the world. And I was always very conscious of what people thought about me now. And that's completely changed. I very much love my body and appreciate what it is and what it allowed me to achieve over the past number of years. I, from self-harming, I have a lot of scars on my body from all of that. And I used to hide them away and I used to be really afraid of what people would think or that people would stare and ask questions. And I I just didn't want to have to deal with that hassle. Um, So I used to just always wear long sleeves or jumpers or try to cover them up. But I got to a point where I was like, you know what? I don't want to do that anymore. I don't really give a damn. And I'm quite proud of what I've overcome and achieved in, in getting through all of this. And 
I, I don't care if people ask me questions or see my scars because for me they're signs of strength you know what I've achieved and my poor mom, she's not quite in the same wavelength. And that anytime I try to go out with like short sleeves or shorts and stuff like that, she's still always very conscious of what people might think and how people might react towards me. She's always, oh, um, if, if you want to have a jumper upstairs, you could wear because the might see. Or, you know, uh, I recently went wedding dress shopping with her. She was like, you know, oh, um, how about we have a look at dresses that have sleeves? And um, I like the sleeves, you know. And I was like, mom. I don't care if people see my scars. I'm not wearing sleeves. I don't want to wear sleeves. It's coming from her best interest at heart and stuff. She's doing it because she feels people might judge me for that and whatever else. But I'm very comfortable with who I am now. I came out as gay when I was 20 years of age. And I've no idea, to be honest, if that was actually one of the reasons behind my kind of struggles as a young teenager. I didn't overly struggle with my identity growing up and it was just something that kind of came to me when I was 20. Uh, it was more of a realisation. And I suppose ever since then, I've felt like I fit in somewhere. Um, things just started to fall into place a little bit more. And I suppose with that then came that whole idea of loving myself for who I am and what I've achieved and loving my body and for what it's actually let me achieve over the past number of years. So uh, I'd have a very positive relationship of body and mind and it's working out quite well for me. That's a complete opposite. You've gone from a relationship with yourself of hatred and nearly destruction to love, pride, compassion. How, like what helped you get there? When did the bulimia and the self-harm start? Why did you 12, 13? Yeah, about 12 or 13 and it continued. It probably didn't stop fully until I was about 24-ish. I suppose it came to an end. I was hospitalized towards the end of sixth year or in the summer of sixth year. So I was what? I was 18 at the time. Maybe it was a little later, but I was 18 at the time and I ended up spending six months in hospital for my bulimia and my self-harm and my thoughts about taking my own life and I suppose that's when people started to really realize something wasn't right with me because I put on that whole facade and that mask about being fine and that all then started to slip and people realized hold on what's she in hospital for what's going on here we didn't know and so when I came out of hospital and even during hospital you know I had Friends send me cards and visiting me and meeting up with me after hospital trying to check in and support me and help me in any way that they could. I suppose that was a fear when I was going through all of this as a young teenager. The reason why I didn't tell a lot of people was because I was afraid that one, they wouldn't care, they wouldn't want to support me and that I would be a burden. And, and, and that's a lot of the times I didn't reach out and ask for that help. I also felt like people wouldn't understand and wouldn't be able to help and when I came out of hospital and all that support was there and people were really showing me they cared, I started to realize that like that, people did care, people did love me. Maybe I was worth something. And it was through relationships I'd made through sport, my teammates, my friends. And they were the ones who started to drag me into recovery and, and give me that hope that I needed to start taking the necessary steps to trying to stop the self-harm and, and the eating disorder and, and start to turn my negative thoughts into more positive ones. You know, it took a long time. It didn't happen overnight. It was definitely a two steps forward, one step back kind of thing. I would say a couple of years later, when I was about 24 or so, I was able to say that I was fully recovered. And yes, obviously, I did a lot of that work myself. But without my friends and my teammates from sport, I, I genuinely don't think I would have been able to do that myself. 
So having a good support network and just understanding that you are worth something was massive help. What big things did you do yourself that helped? I suppose I started to try and again, I spoke about it already with my kind of my mindset and things. I tried to focus on the more realistic parts of things. So I would always, if we take an example, like my eating disorder, I would weigh myself every morning when I woke up and I would spend the day trying to eat as little as possible and anything that I did eat, I would try and make myself sick. And a lot of the times if I felt like I ate something bad, let's say a donut or something like that, my mind would automatically start telling me that I was going to be, you know, a couple of kilos heavier on the scales the next day and I would need to be punished and self-harm and all that sort of stuff. I started to have to look at that a little bit more realistically and say, well, do you know what? A donut only has 300 calories in order to put on a kilo of fat uh, or a pound of fat, you know, I had to consume three and a half thousand calories and I haven't hit that today. I couldn't possibly be up a couple of kilos on the scales tomorrow, etc. And I had to start looking at things a little bit more glass half full as opposed to glass half empty. And it'd be the same. I was very hypercritical of myself during GA matches where if I hit a couple of wides, I'd be thinking about it all night and saying I wasn't good enough. Whereas... Now I had to be like, yeah, okay, I hit a couple of wides, but you know what? I scored three points and I set up X and Y, Z and I thought I defended really well that game. And I had to start just looking at some of the more positive aspects and being a bit more realistic in the ambitions that I wanted to achieve. And I suppose things just started to fall into place for me. And that combined with chatting to friends about how I was feeling and you know, kind of passing the time in, in more positive ways put me on the right path and eventually led to recovery for me. Did you get counselling or psychotherapy? Yeah, so before I went into hospital, I went to Pieta House initially, who were phenomenal for me at the time. They had just opened. I wasn't ready to open up yet then. I was still clutching onto my eating disorder and my self-harm. I was using them as negative crutches and I didn't know how else to cope and they were my negative coping methods. When I came out of the hospital, I went back to Pieta House. I definitely with a different mindset and yeah, I completed counseling. I did some other courses that kind of helped me through coping through stress and stuff like that, which were massive benefits for me. Yeah. And I see you're a Pieta House ambassador at the moment. Yeah. So like a couple of years ago, they approached me and asked me, would I be willing to be an ambassador for them? And I suppose after all the help they'd given me over the past number of years, um, I was only delighted to join up and lend my face to a couple of campaigns for them. and. Um, I suppose to be able to show people that like, I've been through all this myself and I've been lucky enough to come out the other side and Pieta House are doing great things for mental health. They were such a great help to me when I was struggling through things. So if there's anything I could do to give back to them, I would. What would your message be to someone who's kind of, say, going through what you're going through? You have a poor relationship with themselves and they may be, I don't know, harming themselves in a way. It doesn't have to be exactly the same way, but it might be similar. Just a really poor relation. What would you say to someone like that? For me, like the worst thing I did was isolate myself and cut myself off from everybody else. So I suppose if possible, I would tell them to find one person that they were happy to talk to. And when I say talk to, I don't mean having big, deep and meaningful conversations every time. Sometimes when I reached out to my friends and felt like saying, um, I feel like self-harming right now, can we hang out? Often we would just go for a stroll until that urge for me to self-harm would go away. I wouldn't have committed that negative thing, but I suppose it always helps to have a support network or have somebody you feel like you can trust enough to reach out and chat to or just hang out with in a time of need from an individual level. 
you're trying to challenge your mindset and trying to set yourself goals that are very much achievable because otherwise you're just setting yourself up for failure every time and you get stuck in that cycle um, of not being good enough. Um, I felt like that was for me the biggest thing. I kept setting myself these goals I was never going to achieve. I kept failing them and therefore that cycle of hatred and shame just continued to get bigger and bigger until I tried to take my own life and I wouldn't wish that on anybody. So I suppose trying to have a mindset where you can set yourself these achievable goals and that it's not the end of the world if you don't make them. Speak to one trusting friend and it doesn't have to be a DMC and lower expectations and really show yourself a bit of self-care and positivity. Nobody's perfect. Like we all can't have a perfect day every single day. So cut yourself some slack, show yourself a bit of love and give yourself a chance, I suppose. 100%. I love the way that you look at your kind of scars of pride because it highlights that the struggles you went through are realistically now your strengths. Because if you can overcome that, you can overcome anything. My scars aren't going anywhere. I could look at them every single day and have them as a negative reminder of all the struggles I went through. Or I could look at them and see, yeah, look what I went through and look what I've overcome and how strong I am for that. And that if I can overcome that, I can overcome any obstacle that comes my way in life. And again, it's just that change in my mindset from a negative one to a positive one. And for me, it's worked wonders in the last couple of years and I've never been happier. And is that one of the key ingredients you think to why you're so successful in sport? Yeah, I suppose it is. Every, I suppose, you ask any successful sports person and they're always going to have that hunger and that drive to succeed. And it's when they maybe don't reach those levels that they wanted to, uh, they're the things that drive them on for the next race or the next match or whatever else. But yeah, for me, it's knowing that, look at what I've achieved so far. Why can't I go on and achieve this? Yeah, it's definitely that, giving me that drive. So there's no ceiling for Hannah Terrell? Definitely not. That mask you put up, obviously when you're cutting yourself, there is like, there's evidence there. Do people see that evidence and just say nothing? Like I'd say it was a mix of both, but I'd like to think that I was just really good at hiding it. But there's definitely times where when I was in secondary school, the odd person was like, geez, what happened to you there? And I just shrug off and be like, oh, I just grazed it on a fence or something like that. The thing that actually got me through all that was that I became an exceptional liar. I became really good at lying and thinking on the spot and coming up with ways in which, you know, I might have got that. I'd like to think that I hid them pretty well. And for the most part, you know, they're like upper thighs and stuff like that. But to be honest, as my self-harm began to get worse, I began to care less about where I self-harmed. And I suppose those ones became a little bit more obvious for people. So for me, it was probably the becoming a good liar that put people off questioning it more than they should have. I've never heard some of that. I became an exceptional liar. It's an unreal way to look at it. And now you're the complete opposite. Like you're so honest and compassionate with yourself. Yeah, I suppose I just hidden away that part of me for so long that I'd hate for anybody to go through what I'm going through. I felt like I felt so lonely back then and that I thought I was the only person who had an eating disorder and who hurt themselves. And I didn't really understand it or mental health wasn't a big topic back then. It was still that huge stigma and taboo and, And now it's not. And I'd hate to think of any young girl or young guy going through what I went through right now all alone. And so I suppose by being honest and and speaking about my story, you know, people might pick up on that and might be tempted to reach out and ask for help a little bit sooner. And do people reach out and ask for help? 
to me, I often after like I do talks every now and then for different organizations and schools. And you definitely get a couple of people coming up to me and go, when you were talking, a lot of that stuff resonated with me. And I think I'm going to go and talk to X, Y, Z about this. Or I get a lot of people going, that sounds like my friend. I'm going to go chat to her and see if we can, you know, get something from that or get her the help she needs. And it might not always be to me, but it stirs up memories in people's head or ideas in people's head and they go off and chat to other people about it and try and um, I suppose improve their own mental health in that way. I say that's very rewarding when you get that like even when I help a patient who has low back pain and you come in saying geez I feel so much better I feel the great reward. Yeah like look I don't do it for that I genuinely do it so they can get something out of it and start to feel better I don't do it to feel good myself but there's definitely that element to it that like, helping somebody like make their day in life a little bit easier and that's always very rewarding but um for me it's just that maybe somebody doesn't have to go through the chain go through the same turmoil that I went through and that's enough for me that's class and do you feel like you have a purpose or a why in life now yeah, <laughs> yeah like I don't know I, I like um that's an unusual one it seems to be people always tell me that no matter what sport I try I'm always good at I don't know was I made for that or whatever else to be honest I don't know my whole why I suppose is when I continue on in life and I'm particularly sport right now I suppose is like why ruin the chance that you've been given this is like a second chance of life for me I've had the struggles that I've had I've come out the other side of it let's just enjoy life and embrace life and everything that it has to offer and that's taken me all around the world with rugby and you know I'm not going to stop traveling um, even after I retire hopefully if coronavirus is gone it's definitely given me a, a different perspective on life and I suppose I'm just going to enjoy whatever it gives me that's the best way ever to live what you live your life to the best you can isn't it yeah. that's the whole team of this pod stop running start living and find out what's really important to you factor that into your daily life and take advantage of every minute on this planet yeah, who knows when it's going to be your last, you know. Hannah, where can people find out more about you? My Instagram or my Twitter profile, Hannah Tyrrell 21 Other than that, I'm sure if you just Google, you might get a few results. I'm very, very grateful and I love the honesty and yeah, I love an honest conversation. So thanks very much. Thanks, Jay. I really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and got something from it. Please share it if you can. And it'd be really, really great if you can leave a review on iTunes. Thank you, folks. Have a great week.